0: all right what's going on guys we're here with our first ever live studio audience (laughs) jasmine's super excited she's actually reading a book she's not gonna be paying attention to what we're saying but that's okay and uh i am here with my paps my paps of 37 years (laughs) we've been we've been at this thing for a while super excited to have my dad here it's gonna be really fun uh You know, he was a big reason why I got into the sport of running. We're going to talk a little bit about that. He was also... He coached me throughout high school. Coached my little... Both my little brothers throughout high school. Coached... How many state championship teams? Three. Three. Started the program at Big Bear High School. We'll get into all this stuff later on in the interview. Um, Just has a ton of knowledge um, about training, about the physical aspect, which we'll get into a little bit. But more than anything, like has really sewn into me um, over and over again throughout my life throughout my running career and continues the the heart aspect of it and the mind aspect of um, how to train your mind how to train your heart and how it's all connected to your body so that's the stuff that we want to get into you so dad thanks for joining us
1: oh love i'm glad that you are here and that jasmine is with us as well yeah yeah it's gonna be a fun fun interview
0: And uh, we're recording this a couple days before Christmas. I was just decorating holiday Christmas cookies for like three hours straight. (laughs) Trying to make an Ethiopian flag on a Christmas cookie, which I failed at multiple times. Didn't work. Very difficult, turns out. not a pro at that. Jasmine is trying to tell me something.
1: I wrote
0: Japanese. Jasmine wants you all to know she made a Japanese... You wrote Japanese on... A Christmas cookie while I was struggling to make this Ethiopian flag. So she's the pro in there. Yeah So anyway, so hope you guys had a good Christmas Hope you're looking forward to the new year Hopefully you have something fun planned for the new year and looking forward to kind of a fresh start as we get into 2020 and now I am it's always nice to feel like you're getting kind of a new new opportunities in the new year to come so Anyways, let's hop into it, Dad. Uh, Tell everyone a little bit about how you got into running, um, what stage of life you were in, what you were doing that got you into it.
1: I first got into it when I moved to Australia and they had a race around this lake and everybody in the school ran, all the teachers, the principals, the janitors, the bus drivers, all the kids everyone and after the race i finished about 25th and after the race one of the little guys in my class came up to me and said for a pe teacher you're not very good at it are you and <laughs> and so i was i thought about that for a minute and i i had been uh at pepperdine playing baseball and i ran as a pitcher and i ran on the beach but i didn't run as hard as maybe some people and, and so I thought about that and I thought I'm gonna, next time we have this race, I'm gonna do better, but I'm gonna learn about running and there were a lot of good coaches right then in Australia and in New Zealand right next to Australia and I had a chance to actually go to clinics by guys who were some of the best guys in the world.
0: Like Ron Clark, right?
1: Yeah, Ron Clark's son was in a race Against a kid that I had just started coaching and been coaching about a year. And Ron's son ran uh, an amazing two mile time. I think it was something like 8 45 and won the race by a long way. And afterwards, Ron came and talked to us. And the kid I was coaching, Dennis Boyle, ran very well, ran like a big PR, but was way behind uh, Ron Clark's son. Uh, But Ron Clark asked us if we would come down and train with him. And his group that he had training, and uh, Dennis, the kid I was coaching, just looked at me and said, why would we drive all that way? <laughs> he wasn't too familiar with Ron Clark. No, he wasn't. So
0: it was Ron Clark. I also, I love the story of you doing the handicap race. And th- Was that with Ron Clark? No,
1: that was with a New Zealander, John Walker.
0: Oh, John Walker, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So my dad <laughs> raced against John Walker. That's that's some <laughs> legit company that you're in there. Tell, tell everyone a, a little bit about that story
1: well uh, they had in a town called Bendigo which was about an hour away from the little town that I moved into called Bort they were having a handicap trotters race and they have all these horse races there and they have these half-mile trotting tracks and so um, as kind of just a a fun thing to do they had all these guys in these country towns around have a mile race and then the two guys who ran the fastest in the towns around Bendigo got to come and race John Walker in a race uh, that they paid him a lot of money to run in and it was a handicap race so everybody got a certain distance out in front of John Walker and Dennis and I ran on a very hot day in Bort it was probably over 100 degrees on a on a very sl- slow course that was very windy so we didn't run real fast so we had a great handicap we were
0: do you remember how big the handicap Yeah,
1: the handicap was 320 yards.
0: Whoa, that's a giant handicap. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so who won? Uh, I won the race. Dennis finished right behind me, and John Walker was right behind him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so was this in the prime of John's career? Or? He
1: was kind of, It was. he was at the tail end of his oh. career, and this was a money maker for him. They oh. paid him a lot of money to come over and run. So did you talked to
0: him after this? Yeah,
1: I talked to him Out. He was a really, he was a, neat guy. He just thought this was, you know, so much fun for him. And he made 50,000. Back then, that was a lot of money. 50? 50. He oh. was guaranteed 50,000 to come and That's run and guaranteed another ten thousand he said i cost him ten thousand <laughs> <laughs> dollars
0: well, he's getting fifty thousand to go to races like that he must have been doing all right
1: yeah well he was he was the world record holder at one time and and a world champion so but and he was a really neat guy and he didn't have to go far he just came from new zealand so mm-hmm. it was pretty close for him
0: so so what was your first like official race that you did do you remember
1: um, you mean where I was running, <laughs>
0: trying to run fast. You weren't, you were like focused on, so you had the time period where you're focused on baseball yeah. and the time period where you're coaching doing PE in Australia. Do you remember when you were like yeah. legitimately trying to run? Yeah. Dennis
1: time? and I ran in another race. They had, uh, these guys come to our town and our town had a big, um, carnival like fair. And as part of that, there was water skiing jumping because we had a lake in town there was all these events well one of the events was a four mile run around this lake and all of us so all of us trained pretty hard for that and that was probably my fastest mile that i ever ran I ran. I think I ran 4.26 oh, nice. that day. And we just nipped everybody and we won our, our hometown, won the race. And I had kind of forgotten about that, but we had just gone to Australia. And when we were sitting having dinner with people, they were reminding me of that race and how close it was, but that we had won that race. So that was probably uh, when I was in the best shape, okay. running-wise.
0: So I'm super curious. You know, we jump to where you're at now. How many years ago was that? That's oh, a lot of years ago. That was like not it was a lot of years ago. Forty we'll years ago. Four, yeah. Forty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love to ask this question and think about this question. Like, if you could go back and talk to yourself. As you're getting into the sport of running, knowing everything that you know now about training, all the experiences you've had, all the coaching me, coaching my brothers, coaching the high school level, like everything that you've read, like you've, I know you've done a ton of research, talked to a ton of people, like... You're very well versed in running now. What would you go back and tell yourself first as an athlete and then like if you're talking to yourself as a coach, but first start with that athlete.
1: Well, I think the first thing I would have told myself as an athlete, I never really thought of myself as a runner because I played uh, basketball, baseball, and football in high school and if I had to go, if I had to do it over again, I would go back and I would run cross country and I wouldn't play football in high school in high school I would have run cross and um, and then I think I would have viewed myself differently probably as a runner because I always was saying to myself as a runner well you're not really a runner you're you're an explosive sport athlete and you're never going to be that good at distance running and when you have that in your head that's a lie and you have to learn to replace that lie. So that's that's what I would have gone back and yeah. if I could have.
0: That's interesting now because I feel like now as I try and identify talent at like a young level, whether it's high school or middle school, I'm looking for those kids who are explosive like you are explosive. Because you know, and I know now, that you can develop the strength, but the explosiveness is really hard to develop, and that's kind of like the natural talent. And so it's like, you look at athletes like Sarah and I, you know, it's like I didn't have that natural explosiveness that you had, Sarah did. And so Sarah's now like finally, she has done all the strength work for 20 years, and now she's finally running an amazing marathon, because she has both the explosiveness and the strength component. But it can be discouraging early on for kids who are very explosive, but they don't have the endurance doesn't come natural to them But it doesn't mean it they can't get to that level It just takes like you said like looking at yourself and being like this is actually an advantage. I'm so explosive my uh, foot speed is so good
1: I think it would have been an advantage because you look at when you're looking at young guys You're looking at how fast do they run a 400? Mm-hmm. You know, what can they do? But I, I think at that time when I went to Pepperdine and we were learning about fast twitch, slow twitch fibers, we were at that time being taught uh, that there was just fast twitch and slow twitch. And now we know that that's not the case. That there, we have a group of fibers that will migrate towards the way we train them to go. And so knowing that, if you're an explosive athlete, you might then say to yourself, well, I might have to change my body a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what happened when I trained for the Ironman. When you do a lot, a lot of training, what happens is your body even will start to throw off muscle that it doesn't need. And it'll put you in the shape that you need to be for the event that you're doing if you do the training, right training, over a long enough period of time. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how the body adapts to the training you know it's like like you can be that like lean like smaller endurance athlete you compete in the world championships and triathlon you can be that and you can also be the tailback and running in your you know you can be big and strong if you want to be too and it just depends on what you're feeding yourself nutritionally and then the training that you're doing
1: yeah um, well, just like you know from now lifting weights and you've seen how strong and how big you've got, you've gotten uh, that surely people would look and go, well, he was an endurance athlete, but you can see yourself what you've done to yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, for you guys who are listening, like just know wherever you're at in your own body right now, it can change. You can yeah. change it based on how you're training, based on your nutrition. And I think what my dad said is really important too, based on how you see yourself. Yeah. You know, and believing that, hey, no, I can change my body. I can change what I'm good at if I give myself long enough I uh, train well. And
1: a great example of that is the kid that I coached the last year I coached. I coached him well, I coached him for four years, and his name was Ryan Lambert. And Ryan at one point was the slowest kid at the middle school and was well over 200 pounds when he was shorter than five feet. Wow. And when he came to be as a ninth grader, his goal was to, he had watched you run, he had wa- and he was watching Chad run, and his goal was to be in the top 10 at the state meet. And his, his mile time in junior high was 12 and a half minutes. And his senior year, he finished eighth in the state and ran 15.58 at Woodward Park. And what did he get his mile down to? He got his mile down to like 4.40. There
0: you go. Just chop a little eight minutes off your mile, (laughs) personal best. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great example, like, of what we're talking about. Like, it doesn't matter where you're at. Like, if you're willing to do the work, you can see massive, massive change in your body and your fitness and what you're capable of doing
1: well i like the high school the guy who coached um at illinois, in illinois who won all those state. yeah st- York, he, yeah. yeah, coach newton right yeah coach newton yeah. coach newton said everybody can be good in cross country not everybody can be great but everybody can be good
0: yeah yeah, and I, I I agree with that. I've had discussions with other people about how much does genetics play into running. And I think, you know, at the world class level, 100% play you, you got to have like yeah. the genetic part. Yeah. It's like all of us in our family, like we can lift weights till we're blue in the face like Steve's been doing weights. My oldest brother Steve, he's 5 years older than me. He's been doing weights since he was in high school, yeah, and he's 200 pounds. He's big and strong, but I mean, like, re- relatively strong. Like, like we're not going to be Eddie Hall out deadlifting a thousand pounds, you know. So there's, I, I think, a hu- a much bigger genetic component to things like weight training, strength training. That power thing that we're talking about, it's harder to get that than to get the endurance aspect. But the endurance aspect certainly comes natural to our family.
1: Yeah, and I mean, when I I remember listening to Florence Griffith Joyner saying that she was going to start running marathons. And I was thinking, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> but it probably, if she had been able to do that- From her youth,
0: right? Yeah. Like if she had never sprint, like yeah. she's not gonna change into a marathoner for no, no, no. four years and run an elite level. No. But if she had done it from the time she was 12-
1: Yeah, if she had be been a, so a cross country you know. runner and run track, it would have been interesting yeah. to see what would have happened with yeah.
0: her. And so, you, you know, you look at, you know, world-class distance runners, you think, could any of those people have been world-class sprinters if they had trained, like, world-class sprinters, you know?
1: So, uh, well, you it's hard to, you know, you, you, don't, know. <laughs> you don't get that opportunity <laughs> yeah. to find out. Yeah.
0: So anyways, let's go back to uh, to my question. So you answered the part about... Yeah. You know how you what you'd say to yourself if you went back and talked to yourself as you're getting into running as an athlete so now from the coach perspective you could talk to yourself back when you're coaching Dennis Boyle just getting into coaching what would you what are some of the things that you've learned along the way now that you wish you would have
1: known then well there was a, a lot that I learned after that period of time I had the chance to go to a clinic and listened to some really uh great coaches and one of the things i remember one of the guys talking about was hill training and so you know we really incorporated that into what we did at big bear he had his guys in australia running these sand dunes like crazy um, and and so we as you know, you, I had you running a lot of hills, you know, you ran up Snow Summit a bunch of times. And as I went further into my career, I learned that the hill running served a very specific purpose that I didn't understand when we, I first started training kids. And that is that if you do the proper type of hill training, it helps st- strengthen and thicken the tendon and the ligaments. And it's like doing weight training without weight training. And it's doing it ballistically. You're lifting yourself up that mountain. And so I recognize now as a coach that it was really a great injury preventer for us. And we were, you know, as you know, we were careful with not having guys run down that mountain.
0: Yeah. So for you guys who aren't familiar, snow summit's a local ski resort here and it's about it's about a mile right from the bottom to the top and just, you know, what you'd picture a ski resort being. Like, we even went up one section. It's called the Wall. It's a double black diamond run. And that little 500-meter section would take, like, five minutes to run up. And so, you know, we we use the word running loosely there because you're barely moving. Although they do have a race now in the summertime. It's yes, called, What's we do. it called again?
1: It's Run the Wall with Ryan Hall.
0: There you go. But Ryan Hall's never been there so. But I have run the wall a bunch of times. But I've
1: been there every time. Yeah, my dad's there.
0: So if you want to meet my dad and you're in SoCal area, come out in the summertime, it's yeah. in like June or July or something.
1: We do it in July, yeah. In July, okay.
0: But yeah, so anyways, going back, I interrupted you. That's that's the hill you're talking about. We are yeah. talking about doing a lot of hill work. We ran up and we take the chair down so we didn't have the pounding. Out, so that's right.
1: Down. Yeah. And I just see it as a good injury preventer. It did a lot of other things for us aerobically um, because... Uh, it would if you wanted to it could turn into a very aerobic workout very quickly if you started too hard, um, but there was another thing that I learned that as as I look back as an endurance runner, the importance of having a long term view to develop that aerobic speed, um, realizing that aerobic speed almost you can 't almost tap it out. Uh, when you 're working on your flat out foot speed, that can be uh, when you 're doing anaerobic work, you can get to your limit pretty quickly
0: so for people who aren 't familiar with anaerobic speed like what how how do you what 's an example of how you work on that
1: okay like um, for us anaerobic speed would be anaerobic meaning without enough oxygen. And you end up going into oxygen debt. So the way you do it is you do uh, repeat intervals of say 200 meters or 100 meters, going 95 percent, and then you do a walk back. And when you do the walk, and obviously you can go from 100 meters when you're not in very good shape to like you know what we you and I were doing in San Bernardino Valley, where you're doing 400 meter repeats. And you're doing them in 60 seconds, that means you're covering every 100 meters in 15 seconds. Well, that's moving along. And you're going to go into oxygen debt at the end of each one of those. And then it's when you go into oxygen debt that you actually get the benefit from it. Um, Because the blood is rushing into your heart. And that blood is rushing into your heart, causing that heart to get more blood into it than it's normally used to. And and that's and that's a big advantage. So um that's the advantage of doing anaerobic work, but it's limited in its effect during one season. How you know, when you start it. Uh there were certain guys like Arthur Lidyard who seemed to have A real ability to know when it was time to do anaerobic work he's famous for his aerobic speed element but what he was really good at I think as I watched him was knowing when to have his guys do anaerobic work the when and how much so when was it (laughs) you know what right this is it was the it was different with all of his guys some of his guys that he knew were those explosive guys did it even later because they the aerobic speed element was tougher for them they needed a longer block to get that going and that anaerobic speed came to them very quickly and so like
0: john walker right like he was doing a ton of like threshold training stuff like that and he just added in right at the end right yeah
1: and so but now, Ron Clark was different in that Ron Clark, at the beginning of his career, he was doing almost all anaerobic work. Because I talked to him about it, and he goes, I just met, so messed up my own training. He said he did a lot of anaerobic work at, w- early on when he was young, which makes sense when you think about it. When you're young, work on your speed. Mm-hmm. And and but he said he was always he never was peaking at the right time. And then he he started following the lizard method and liked going long, and steady so much that he stopped doing his anaerobic work at all.
0: Right, so you got to have balance,
1: yeah. You got to have both. You got to and he and that's the thing. He Ron Clark was saying to me, I've just now that i've stopped running i've learned how to coach other people to balance that yeah but i think it's a tough balance because i think everybody is a project of one right yeah and so you have to like with chad we didn't really learn how to do that well and i had him the whole time till his junior year at the end of track when he finally hit a really big double and we realized with him he needed to do his anaerobic work late, and he needed to keep doing it, and he needed to not, tape, not taper very much before he raced.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something that's really important to kind of pause on, is how important it is to stay with the coach for a period of time. Because like you're saying, I mean, Chad was your son. Yeah, like You knew him better than anyone else, and it still took you till his junior year to figure out how to arrange his training properly. So, you know, you see a lot of athletes now jumping from coach to coach to coach. And, like, I'm guilty of that to a certain extent myself, you know, because you try something and for a year and it doesn't work. And a year seems like a long time. But really, like, it's the coach and the athlete are growing together and kind yeah. of figuring Things out together and having to try out new things and range training differently. And it really can be, I mean, you can have that kind of instant success, but you can also, you know, you look at a guy like Meb, for example, who had the same coach from college all the way through like 20 years of pro running, you know, and was very, very successful. Galen Rupp's another example of that. So I think, you know, there are some pros who are listening to this podcast. I think that's probably something that I would have done differently if I could go back in my career is just like, like stick with a coach that you, you're willing to work with and that you believe in and that you're willing to grow with together. And it's not this thing where, you know, the coach has to have everything figured out in year one, you know? It's yeah. like there has to be grace for each other to be like, hey, we're on this road together. We're trying to figure this out together. It's a journey.
1: Well, and I, I think you can see that with um, that guy who was the great English runner. Um whose dad coached him. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Sebastian Coe. Sebastian yeah. Coe, where his dad was coaching him when he was real young. Then he went to school and they were coaching him and saying, well, he's gonna have to move up because he's not that fast. To the, I mean, you're talking about a guy who wins 800 meter races and his high school coaches are saying, not very fast. And his dad was like, no, he's plenty fast. And so he ends up sticking with his dad, and and that was a great combination yeah. for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I had one of the best careers of any middle distance runner out there. Yeah, yeah, he's one of my favorites. Loved watching his training. Cool. Well, that's that's super helpful. Um, so, what what is kind of as people? Let's talk about to the group. There's a, a wide range of people who listen to our podcast and who we coach, and who are just part of our community. So let's talk to the people who are like just kind of getting into the sport and, uh, and co- kind of common mistakes you see them make first. Let's talk externally. Let's talk about physically things that you see people who are first getting into sport running, they mess up on. And then next we'll move on to like mistakes that are going on inside of their mind and their heart. But first yes. the physical component.
1: Well, I think the common thing that you see among men who are just starting up running is they want to get very good very fast
0: so lack of patience
1: and not very much patience and so they get hurt and when they're hurt you know when you're hurt you go backwards you don't go forwards um, being consistent over a long period of time and being patient with yourself not forcing it uh, letting uh, times when you go out to do a workout And it's not coming to you letting go of it and going and not making a big deal over, oh, I missed that workout. Well, there'll be another day to do that workout. Uh, But I see a lot of men, uh, they do a lot of um, mixed running where, uh, like remember when I was talking to you before about uh, Paul and Newby Frazier, Uh, One time was was a world-class triathlete who had won six Ironman championships. And she was in Big Bear and she was doing a clinic and she was going, All of you age groupers, you just mix what you do. Everything's medium hard. She goes, "But nothing's really hard, nothing's really easy, and you guys gotta separate those, yeah. and the easy days have to be easy, and the hard days have to be hard, yeah, that's
0: like one of the mantras that you taught me getting into the sport that stayed consistent all throughout my career. And the big thing that you know we tell all of our athletes around free, like gotta have difference between how hard your hard days are and how easy your easy days are and that That came straight from you and Paula
1: <laughs> yeah, well, she's right, I mean because. It's so easy to go out there, and you're feeling good, and it's supposed to be an easy day, and you're thinking to yourself, what you should be thinking of is tomorrow is going to be a hard day, so I'm saving this. I'm putting this in the bank for tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I think we've talked about this before on this podcast, but the way that I would do this when I was running professionally is through coffee intake. My dad's not a coffee drinker, so who don't be able to comment <laughs> on this, but... Um, having coffee on the hard days. So then, yeah, you're crushing those hard days and then not having coffee on the easy days and you feel like a totally different person, <laughs> zero energy. So if you're looking for a external way to get, make your hard days hard and easy days easy, that's a way to do it. That's good. I like that. What about, like, internally? What kind of – well, I guess you kind of talked a little bit about, like, patience and consistency. Those are kind of, like, internal outlooks. But any other kind of, like, common – things you see people struggling with internally as they get into the sport around you. Yeah,
1: I, I think um not recognizing that you're getting into running to be healthy. And you want to keep moving forward obviously in your running. You're trying to get faster. But there are people who get faster who I've looked at and seen who are not very healthy people because part of that is internal perspective. It's like, why are you out there running? Are you enjoying the day, or are you just beating yourself up, making yourself go hard? You know, I don't really um, like uh, Prefontaine's thing that if you're stopping to smell the roses, uh, then you're not running hard enough. I think there are those days that you better stop and smell the roses and enjoy just being out there and enjoying every step that you get to take, and just being thankful for that, because that will keep you going. Mm-hmm. Trying to crush it every day, you'll crush yourself. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to have really good days, and you're going to have some really bad days.
0: Yeah. you got to be ready for both. Yeah. Okay. And like, uh, real quick, you you uh, jog my memory i remember the first run that my dad and i went on which i wrote about this in my book and told the story a million times we about to run around the lake so i'm not going to get into that whole story but i do remember standing out on our front porch and we're at my parents house right now so this is just 50 feet below <laughs> us because we're on the second floor 20 feet whatever and i remember my dad uh having me take my hand and pulsating it as fast as i could just opening and closing it um and saying like And he had me do it. I think as fast as I could for like a minute, and and my hand was all cramping up by the end of it, you know. And he's like, "This is like what your heart is doing, your entire life." And he's like, "The point of running is to make your heart stronger, to you know, for the health component of of it." And so that was always kind of like the backbone of running and being like even if the results don't come even if it doesn't take me to college and running professionally like it's, I'm still getting this health benefit from training that you know will will help me the rest of my life
1: and I think right what I remember so vividly in my mind is being at a camp we worked with handicapable kids who were in wheelchairs and were not gonna run and I remember getting up early out of my bag and gonna go for a run and and my camper who was sleeping next to me uh, looked up he woke up when i got up and he said are you going for a run and i said yeah he said will you run a mile for me Mm -hmm, and i was and i was i always remembered that i get to run not everybody gets to
0: so this reminds me of like another thing that my dad would always have us do and i think you did this all the way throughout your coaching was uh inspiration before perspiration so talk a little bit about what that was and what that looked like over the years
1: um what that looked like over the years it it got to a point where i recognized in 2005 chad was running racing uh he was a junior we had we just crushed it at cif Uh, we won our first cif team title everybody had pr'd run their personal record and and we were going uh to the state meet and we go to the state meet we have the best team i i felt we had the best individual we finished second and and Chad finished second in the race, and everybody was bummed out, and it was the best we had ever done as a team, and I was pretty excited. I thought we could win the race, but still, I was looking second, and then, uh, but the boys were, the my boys' team was just bummed out. They were like, Coach, we didn't run good, you know, and, and I realized that they had put a lot of pressure on themselves and maybe i had put pressure on them too in focusing on just the outcome rather than the process and so the next years we went back and we decided to do inspiration before perspiration which we were doing with you but now we became very focused on it and we did it every day and the kids got involved and they did it and they really inspired one another and they and i was telling if we inspire each other every day, and we use the things that inspire us and bringing them, bring them to each other, then it's like um, such a blessing to just listen and be there at practice because every practice you are being inspired by somebody.
0: Yeah. So, so what was the actual structure like? What actually happened? What is integration before? Okay, okay.
1: So we would meet in my classroom, and we I had girls in my class who were my TAs. Who went online and found inspirational people who were doing incredible things? One was an African American kid who was uh, blind in both eyes. He had had cancer, and he could click with his tongue and bounce the sound off things and ride his bike through the street just clicking his tongue. That's amazing. And so we looked at people doing stuff like that. and we looked at it every day before we went to practice, so that we'd look at it and go, "If that's what they could do, yeah. what can we do?" It so was
0: just a short little,
1: like five-minute thing. It was a five-five-minute deal.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so now you're actually writing a book, which I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, which is me. Well, right now the working title is "Inspiration Before Perspiration." Right. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, I I started with that story that I just told about. We went to 2005. Uh, and we finished second, and the kids were bummed out, and I was like, I didn't, we, we were focused too much on the outcome, and not enough on the process of just loving running, loving every race, loving every step that we took, and so we started focusing on other people, what other people had done with their lives, and we looked at that every single day, and so then, uh, we go back in 2006. All those guys were juniors. That was one of the neat things. All those guys were juniors. They were all coming back, um, and and so that year we focused on just saying we're going to enjoy every step. We're going to enjoy every practice. We're going to enjoy the time we have together. And those boys got so close together. They formed uh, friendships that will last them a lifetime. And Those kids were a very special group of kids because they learned to care more for each other. Uh, When we went to our league final, I had two, uh, that year, two senior boys who had run with me for four years who had never run in a varsity race. So I took my seven boys in and I said, I need some boys to volunteer not to run in league finals. You're not gonna be, you know, at our league finals, you uh, become all of the League, and you know, you get your name in the paper and all that stuff. And and and, But we're gonna, you know, from running in California, you run all these races in a row. We have league finals, we have CF prelims, we have CF finals, then we have state, then we have Western regional, and then you have nationals. Chad was shooting for nationals, and I talked to Chad and said, you know, you're a team captain. It would be good if you want to. It's up to you. You need to volunteer at that meeting and say, I won't run in league finals. And so Chad and another, we had four of our boys come to me and say, coach, we'll let the other boys run. We won't run at league finals. So uh, Chad and four other, three other guys who are our best guys, they didn't run. And our other seniors who had never got to run ran and, and we were one through seven in the race and our uh Frost off boys were had the second fastest team time. Um and so we had a really deep group of boys by then because they had watched you run and you had inspired them. And um and now they were inspiring a younger group and I had a freshman group of boys. By this time we had, you know, when you were running we had six kids. Uh now we had sixty kids.
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah, oh man, you took the, I was thinking about this when I was driving up here, I was thinking about doing this interview, I was thinking about you starting, so my dad, for you guys who don't know, he started a cross country team at my high school and track team so that I could run Um, because there was no team at the time. My dad was a teacher at the high school. So I remember, like, I was getting flashbacks of, like, going to school board meetings, you know, and we're trying to petition to them and giving talks, and we're trying to rally everyone to show up and, like, beg them to let us have a team. And then how many years later was it when you started winning state titles? Yeah,
1: it was probably, you know, the first title was in 2005, and you graduated in 2000, so it was five years later.
0: So, So... Tell us more about the book. Let's go back to that. So you're you're telling the story of doing the... So I
1: I start the book with just the kids coming to me and saying, Coach, what happened? And uh, me saying to them, I don't know. I don't know. We just weren't very good. And. So we went back. By
0: the way, I love that when coaches are willing to say, "I don't know," you know, like having had so many coaches throughout my career, and a lot of coaches are wanting to pin things back on the athlete, being like, "Oh, well, you did X, Y, and Z wrong, or you didn't want enough, or whatever." Like, I love it when coaches are being like, "You know what? I just, I don't know," and I think that's so honest
1: and so real and so true. Well, right, with these guys, I knew that they had practiced they had done every workout they didn't miss a workout these kids they had done all the work and so i knew that it was on us as coaches because these guys would give you everything they had every time and so there was no way i could look at them and go well you guys just you know you i mean i later thought well they were pressing they wanted it so bad they wanted it so bad That they weren't very relaxed Mm -hmm. but i put that on us we have to learn how to get them relaxed that's our fault i should have known these guys i knew them i and so anyway so then the rest of the book is goes back to all the different places where i coached and little things that i learned along the way and then the book is going to end up back in 2006 and we win a state championship, our first state championship, and Chad wins a national title that year, but we weren't really focused on, it wasn't about just winning, because, you know, if you just, but if it's about the process, and saying we're going to enjoy the whole thing, then no matter how it finishes, you feel like I loved it anyway. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at life, like the truth matters, the process could stop, at any point you know the journey could end whether it's an injury or you know god forbid death or you know like like none of us are promised tomorrow so really the only way to ensure that you're going to have fulfillment in running is to enjoy every single day along the way because you never know if you're gonna have another one
1: yeah and i mean hopefully that's how we're gonna live our life
0: yeah Uh, that's cool well that's gonna be a gem of a book i know everyone will be stoked to read it when it when it comes out my dad's writing it by hand so it might be a (laughs) lot more to go it depends on how quickly my mom can transcribe it onto the computer maybe just do a handwritten book that'd be kind of cool kind of old school (laughs) um all right cool so what i want to talk about now is just a few your kind of coaching highlights as you look back over the last i don't know how many years combined coaching that was Forty years of coaching. What were what are some of the, the big like? If you had to choose three things that just come to mind first, not necessarily like the biggest things, but what would you what were some of the highlights for you? And what what was so fulfilling about those moments?
1: Um, I could pick three pretty easily. Um, one of those highlights for sure was um, watching you run. Um, at Stanford, and you were in your junior year, I believe, and you were running track and um, you had called us to tell us that actually, in your prelim race, you didn't feel all that great, so yeah, this is my senior year in track, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and it was in Sacramento, so we went to be there to encourage you as you were running and um to walk, and I knew that you and Ian, there was an African kid who was at Arizona who you guys...
0: Yeah, Robert Chesaret, Bradley brother. <laughs> he lit us up all year. <laughs> yeah,
1: and he'd been just getting you guys all year. And he was in the race, and you and Ian had practiced uh, a certain kind of tactic to try to break him at, I believe, your league championship race or Western Regional, I think. And we went to that race, and it didn't quite break yeah. him.
0: Yeah, well, that was Pac-12s. Yeah, he led us up there, big time.
1: <laughs> <And> <laughs> but then, uh, so we knew that you had your, you guys had your work cut out for you. But then to watch you guys uh, run that race, and to actually then see the training come out of you in a race was fun to watch. Yeah. a little cool kind of
0: backstory with that race was. Somehow coach Gerard, a coach at Stanford, which I love coach Gerard he's still coaching he's a Williams William Mary forgive me coach Gerard if I'm wrong on that <laughs> but um he's an amazing coach somehow he talked uh Jerry Schumacher, who obviously is still coaching done amazing things since then but yeah. he talked him into uh having Matt Tagenkamp and um Chris Zielinski take the first I think mile of the race or whatever so we got to tuck in behind those guys so I thought that was really interesting how uh, we had some like even. It's kind of unfair when I look when I think... Well, as I'm saying it now, I'm like, that was kind of not cool for, for Robert. we were He'd already run a 10K. He had a 10K in his legs. that He ran against Galen. He beat Galen in that race. Yeah. And then he's trying to double back him in the 5K. I
1: remember Galen actually saying he went out hard trying to take something out of... Yeah, cause he, yeah Galen he, made him run. He had yeah. talked to you, I think, and I was standing there, and he said, I tried to take something out of his legs, yeah. but he whipped me at the end. Yeah, well, he did. He
0: flattened <laughs> his legs a little bit. Cause, yeah, we, so, anyways... Matt and Chris took the race for the first mile, and then Ian and I traded off, I believe, every lap. Yeah, every lap. Yeah, and we got away from everyone and yep. held on. That was one of those kind of, like, magical races where everything actually happens totally according to schedule. <laughs> that rarely happens in racing, at least for me, you know. So that that was really... Because, I mean, you had seen me struggle at Stanford for the four years and yeah. never even been to the NCAA championship. So I think that's, you know, what made it so special. I remember... One of my memories with you uh, collegiately was talking to you after my sophomore year in cross country after cross country nationals and i was like under a bush or something like that super bummed out like on the verge of tears and i remember talking to you and being like i never want to run a 10k again <laughs> and you were really good at just letting me vent letting me get it off my chest and uh and then the next year a second <laughs> so so yeah, it's okay to say those things you know and get them off your chest and yeah. but it helps to have someone who's there to listen and love on you so yeah
1: moments. so then the other two would be um the one kid i was talking about ryan lambert uh ryan had this long-term goal to finish in the top 10 at uh our state meet and ryan had was the slowest guy footwise just in sprinting and stuff and you know he'd when he was in junior high he had to battle his weight but he had gotten very fit and very fast so uh to watch ryan lambert go back and cheer for all the other guys who finished their races. After he would finish the race, he would go back and cheer for everybody else. And one time I asked him, Ryan, how come you go back and cheer for everybody else? And he said, coach, I know what that feels like to be last. And so we started doing that as a team uh, in our last two years, going back and cheering for everybody else who was running yeah i know
0: that means so much to those people who are in last yeah and people stick around
1: to encourage them when yeah and then the third one was i really enjoyed watching chad uh run in cross country in his senior year he'd never been to the uh footlocker race and to go there and win it his his senior year and it was a really exciting race where he pulled away and then, on the second uphill, this kid caught up to him and um, and we had talked about that him and I had gone to the course and I said and if someone we planned on where he was going to make his move, it's like what you're talking about, right, where you plan everything mm-hmm. you say it it could happen that they could reel you in mm-hmm. um, if you're not feeling your best on the day, if they are they won't reel you in but they but you have a better kick we've worked on your kick all year and you will outkick him at the end and then to watch chad out kick him at the end and you, and that's when you train and you've trained for something specifically and it happens that way it's pretty magical because it doesn't happen that way very yeah. often yeah when it actually works out <laughs> you're like whoa that actually happened yeah. exactly during yeah. the schedule
0: Yes. Yeah. I remember watching Chad's race. That was like one of those races where I was so hoarse afterwards from like screaming so loud. And uh, it's crazy as a coach or brother or dad, when you watch other people achieve their dreams, I get like super emotional. And you know, if it's me out there achieving my dreams, I get emotional, like it's really fun. But it's different when you're like so connected with someone else whether it's you know sarah for me or chad or athletes that were coaching athletes on run free man when they hit their goals there's just no feeling like that it's yeah
1: yeah just like you know you watching sarah run uh 222 in berlin and your are planning and your preparation as a coach it can be m- more exciting than being an athlete yeah yeah because you're so you're seeing them fulfill their dream and you know that you had a part to play in that so
0: it's definitely more nerve-wracking as a coach (laughs) because as an athlete like you're nervous before you're really nervous on the start line and then the gun fires and all those nerves are gone you're flying you know but as a coach like the gun fires and the nerves don't go they're still there (laughs) and they're there the entire race you know so it's a very it's i've had to learn as a coach how to manage my own emotions and not ride the wave with the athlete you know yeah. and try and be that stable person that's being like it's okay you're good you're good when sometimes like i'm watching what's happening i'm like they're not good they're not good <laughs> but on that time i'm like yeah you're good don't worry <laughs> you know, but, no
1: well i had times in cross country where i had to pull kids off the course yeah. because you have to stay calm and you're watching and you're analyzing. And kids would cry when I'd pull them off the course. Coach, I can do it. And I was like, I know you could, but I can tell you are struggling. This is not going to help you. Mm-hmm. There'll be another race, another day. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. And see when they're just digging an
0: emotional hole and they're going to be really scarred from this experience <laughs> yeah. and physically scarred from it. Yeah. Not yeah.
1: Good. It's not good. Cool. Yep.
0: cool. Well, this has been super fun. We'll have to have you back on next time. We're rolling through Big Bear. You guys are in Flagstaff, <laughs> because we could talk for a long time about a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Um, but before we let you go, when we go back to Christmas land, real quick. Uh, just had a couple of categories of runners. Just wanted you to speak like directly to them. Doesn't have to be long. You know, a yep. minute, thirty seconds, whatever you're feeling. Um, but the first category I want you to speak to you is to runners who are struggling with depression. What would you say to them?
1: I would say, this guys uh when you go out and you go out the door before you go out the door lay down on the floor pretend like you you're totally paralyzed and you're never going to get to move again You, you cannot move a muscle lay there for a minute or two i've i've had kids at camps that we ran do this who's had come to me and said coach i'm pretty depressed i put on weight i'm getting slower i'm not getting faster and i'm really it's my senior year but i'm feeling depressed and i I was telling them guys i i know we all want to get better as athletes we all want to progress but every athlete i don't care i'm i'm 68 every athlete has a time when it it goes south on you and, but if you're out there with the your heart is in the right place, uh, you can run with joy. Joy is available to all of us. But you have to look for it and you have to work for it. Yeah, sometimes it takes some digging to find mm-hmm. it, but
0: it's always there. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. All right, cool. Next category uh, runners who are going through a
1: rough patch right now. Guys who are going for a rough patch know this sometimes those rough patches are necessary to get to the next stage and you have to stay the course you have to stay the course there were so many kids who ran for me in the last three years who struggled one kid eric jasperson he got mononucleosis uh he came he missed that cross-country year he came back uh the next year and still wasn't feeling good that good and he was doing the training and i just used to pray with eric and say eric stay the course you're going to get there and then at the state meet he did he had a great race and he helped us win a state championship but he had to stay the course he had a bunch of rough days because he was suffering with from fatigue that he carried over from the mono, and he felt fatigued a lot. And fortunately, on that day at state, he was feeling top of the world, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it and he had a breakthrough. Yeah. But you have to hang on to get those yeah. breakthroughs. And
0: sometimes just hanging on one more day. Yeah, one more day, one more day. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right, cool. What would you say to uh, runners who are just like really wanting to get to the next level and they're running wanting a breakthrough? What would you say to them?
1: I would say to you guys um, there is I don't really believe there's some overtraining is just a lack of preparation for the workout that you're going to do. So if you find yourself wanting to get to the next stage and you you're you're pressing it I would say don't press it let it come to you because when you press it it's it'll stay out in front of you and it'll be tough to let that know you got to learn yourself know when you're having a good day press that good day Mm -hmm. but when it's not a good day don't chase it
0: yeah yeah that's when you be good to yourself (laughs) yeah it's not when you pound yourself into the ground (laughs) no it's not yeah I love that yeah Right, runners here are struggling with injuries.
1: Runners struggling with injuries, I would say this. First of all, try to understand, um, if you can, where that injury came from. Why did that injury happen? Um, most injuries happen to us because of overuse, uh, because of improper form, because of something that we're doing. They don't just happen out of the blue sometimes it's not good enough preparation for the workout that we did that we strained ourselves through to do that workout so if we can understand where the injury came from we can help prevent it from coming again and so for the you guys who are hurt um, it'll you'll recover Uh, you will work through this and you will get past it Uh, but you need to try to collect data, understand your data when you collect it. I really believe in journaling and journaling about not only where did you run, how far did you run, but how did you feel when you were running? Mm -hmm. So you can go back and check your data before an injury happens because there's normally a precursor, something that could have let you know that injury was coming.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally, I agree. Cool. All right. Well, to close things out, any other uh, things that you really wanted to talk about that we didn't touch on yet? Any other words? That you're, you're like the king of wisdom dropping. So anything that comes to mind as we close things out?
1: Right. I would say the main thing is that when we're running and we're out there running, like now, um, uh, my knees are falling apart. There's lots of things that... I can focus on the negative, or I can focus on my dog out in front of me, wagging his tail, having fun, the wind blowing, uh, cooling me off, so you can always focus on a negative, there's always some negative, or you can focus on the positive, and someday, day, um, you know, we all, um, leave sports at some point in time but it's an attitude that can change our life and that's the attitude of just being grateful for what we do have if we're out there and we're grateful runners and we're appreciating where we are and that i i'm lucky we're blessed we get to run up here in big bear i don't have to run through city streets, so it's easier for me to look around and go wow, this is awesome. Yeah. Like today, Tobes and I were running in two inches of snow, and it was so gentle on my old knees, and I was just running through there going, oh, Lord, thanks for two inches of snow. So I really think for all of us, we should be grateful for um, the blessings that come every day and look for the blessings they are there.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's funny how when you see what you're grateful for, you forget about the things that are frustrating you. Or that- <laughs> yeah. You know yep. the things you're being negative about. It's like it's impossible to be both negative and grateful at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it is. So that's yep. that's really good. Well, thank you, Dad. Thanks for joining us on the Run Free Podcast, Jasmine. Thank you for being such a audience that likes to read. I don't know what to say. How did we do? Uh, uh, I don't know. She doesn't know how I did. You're nice. not impressed. I was she was reading the whole time. I was in my own world of reading. She was in her own world of reading. Okay. Well, with that, we'll let you guys go. Happy training, and uh, we'll talk to you in the new year. All right, Jasmine.
1: woo <laughs>